Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen. I'm the president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we help nonprofit organizations all across the country translate vision into reality. I want to welcome everybody back to the podcast. We've got an important episode today where we are talking about um, everyone's either favorite topic or that love to hate topic of fundraising. And to help us in that conversation today, I'm pleased to welcome Tim Kuchuriak. Uh Tim is the founder of a company called Next After. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Greg, thanks for having me. Tim, it's a pleasure to have you join us. Tell us a little bit about what Next After does, because I think that's going to help frame the conversation for our listeners around digital fundraising, the transformation that many organizations are in the midst of, uh, voluntarily or otherwise, right now. Yeah, absolutely, Greg. I'm happy to. So, so Next After is really three things. Uh, we are a fundraising research lab. We're a consultancy, and we are a training institute. And I'll kind of briefly describe each of those three pieces and how they fit together to form what I believe is our unique value proposition, starting with the research we do. So we do two types of research. Uh, the first type, which I refer to more as like forensic research, where we're analyzing large amounts of data across the nonprofit sector. And what we're looking for in the data is patterns that lead to opportunities to unlock greater digital fundraising performance. So we're hyper, hyper, hyper focused around digital. We believe like many, it is the future of fundraising, but it's still yet an underdeveloped opportunity within many organizations in the space. The challenge that we've run into with our research is that the kind of data we're most interested in analyzing either does not exist or it's not readily accessible. And that's because what we're most interested in is trying to experience the charity, the nonprofit, the NGO from the donor's point of view. So we found to get that perspective, the easiest way is simply by becoming donors ourselves. And so that's what we do about four or five times a year. We'll, we'll launch one of these major mystery donor studies where we'll subscribe to hundreds of different organizations across the sector. And we'll, we'll subscribe to all their communications and then we'll monitor what they send us. Every email, text message, voicemail. We've got boxes of direct mail stacked to the ceiling. We analyze those pieces of correspondence. We document them and we wait for the organizations to invite us to become a financial partner by giving a donation. And when they do that, we go online to their website and we'll give a donation as small as $20, as large as $5,000. And then we continue to monitor how they communicate and engage with us over time. Greg, it is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> What's always interesting is just how wildly varying the communication experience is from organization to organization. And so uh, when we do these studies, you know, inevitably we'll have two or three organizations that are similar in terms of their size, their scope, their area of focus, and they've got two radically different communication processes. So when we see that, we say, okay, if organization A is doing one thing and organization B is doing something else, how do we know what works best? So we'll take a lot of the insights that we glean from the mystery donor studies, and we'll use it to power the other kind of research we do, which is applied research. And that's where we're using the web as not just a channel, but as a, a platform, a, a laboratory where we can run rigorous scientific experiments to figure out what works and what doesn't work. Uh, and to date, I think we've documented, we're just closing in on 3,000 different online fundraising experiments across a whole range of different organizations. And then what we do is we try to mine the insights contained within that data and say, what are the, what are the universal transferable principles that we could use to help other nonprofits? And the two ways we help um, is with our Next After Institute, which is the training and equipping arm of Next After. We develop tons of resources. Most of them are free. 
Uh, for people that want, want to go really, really deep, we've got eight different certification courses and like turning Facebook likes into donors and landing page optimization, email fundraising optimization. Um, and then we host an annual conference every year where we bring in digital marketing for-profit leaders from all over the world to come and pour into our nonprofit community to breathe new life and ideas and take some of the innovation that's happening on the for-profit side and try to migrate that into our nonprofit space. And then the final piece is our, is our agency. So we, we work with about 38 uh, larger nonprofit organizations across North America. And uh, we really try to work with them to engineer into their fundraising programs, the things that we find uh, that work. And Tim, you mentioned that you are hyper-focused on digital fundraising, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I know that you're a data guy. Tell us why, why have you chosen to spend so much of your time, so much of your effort and bandwidth on the digital fundraising piece? I know the data is out there. Yeah, um, yeah. Share that with some of our listeners. Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, honestly, uh, we have been preparing for a time such as this. So um, if you think about how most nonprofits have raised money traditionally, you know, there's face-to-face, -face, there's events, there's direct mail, and then digital has kind of been this, we're not really sure how this works. Um, people have kind of dipped their toes in the water, but this past year with the uh, global pandemic and everything from fundraising events to major donor, you know, face-to-face -face meetings, all kind of being put on hold, many nonprofits had turned to the internet. And uh, Blackbaud uh, recently published the charitable giving report. And every year they, they analyze, uh, you know, I think it's about $40 billion worth of giving that flows through their CRM technology. And what they notice is that actually in 2020, during the pandemic, uh, total giving actually went up 2% year over year compared to 2019, which Pretty is- Pretty good. Not, yeah, not know, bad. Not, not bad. bad. Better than but, a lot of us would have guessed. Yeah. Yes. But digital- fundraising went up 21% year over year. And for the first time ever, digital now represents more than 10% of total giving to nonprofits. Actually, last year, it was 13%. It never crossed 10%. So it's kind of like, you know, everything has, has, has led to this moment where nonprofits are finally being forced to embrace digital transformation. And, and we're, we're really excited because we're kind of like ahead of that a little bit. Tim, when you talk about uh, digital fundraising, digital transformation, I just want to be clear, what are we talking about? So, you know, everyone's familiar with, I go onto the website, I hit the donate now button, I enter my credit card information, I make a contribution. What else are we talking about when we talk about digital fundraising? Yeah, great question, Greg. Yeah, it's, so digital is interesting because it's not just one channel, it's a bunch of nested channels. So when I refer to digital fundraising, I mean, it's everything from text messages, uh, to social media, to email campaigns, like to uh, videos. I mean, any of these things that can lead people ultimately to coming online and giving gift. That's really how the industry measures it is like, where is the gift actually occurring? And so anything that leads people to the internet or to some sort of you know, place where they can actually conduct an e-commerce transaction, that's considered digital. Okay. And Tim, you mentioned that the, the kind of mystery shopper, mystery donor experience that you all have throughout the year. I, I like talking about things from a strengths-based perspective. So mm -hmm. when you think about the communications that you've received from nonprofits through that, um, through those efforts, what have been some of the best practices that you've seen? What is really connected with you and your mm -hmm. team? So um, in one particular study, we, we really focus in on something that we had noticed through our testing 
research that was the biggest driver of increases in donations. And that is how effectively the organization communicates their value proposition. And uh, to define value proposition, because it's not a term that's often thrown around in the nonprofit space, I would suggest that at a very high level, right, the donor is constantly weighing the perceived value of giving a donation versus the perceived cost, right? And the idea is if they perceive more value than cost they give, if they perceive more cost and value, they do not give. And so we have been working on trying to find ways to decode the value proposition. And what we've, we've um, identified is that there's like four key components to an effective value proposition. The first one is appeal, meaning whatever it is that you're actually conveying in terms of the impact the donor can have through their gift to your organization must be something that people like, that they want. It's a change they want to see made in the world. And it's not just like a small group of people. It has to be something that has mass appeal. The more mass appeal, you know, the greater the opportunity for people to respond. The second key dimension or, or component to an effective value proposition is exclusivity, right? So it has to be something that is unique that's different, that differentiates you in some way. And what's interesting is like uh, exclusivity acts as kind of like the denominator, right? Because, you know, depending on how appealing your thing is, if everybody's doing that, it's, it's not as potent as if you are the only one doing that, right? right? So we're looking for that relationship between appeal and exclusivity. The third key dimension is credibility. Can I believe it? Can I believe you? Can I trust you? Is your money, is, is my money going to go where you say it's going to go? That's a huge aspect that we have to be able to consider is how we're actually um, making our donors feel comfortable and like they can trust us by giving us their, their money. And then the last uh, piece is clarity. How effectively does the organization communicate the value proposition in a way that the uh, uninitiated can understand it, right? And so um, we did a study of that a few years back where we went to 127 organizations. We asked them the value proposition question, which is this, if I am the ideal donor, can you tell me why I should give a gift to you rather than some other organization or not at all? We asked that question through four different means. We went to the website. We called the phone number that was on the website, say, hey, I was thinking of giving a gift. Tell me, why should I give a gift to you rather than someone else? Then we listened and we transcribed every single claim of value that we heard on the call. <laughs> we sent that same question through the contact us form on the website. We direct messaged them on Facebook asking that question. And then we looked at what their donation page had to say to answer that question. And it was interesting when we went back and we scored all the value propositions, nobody got high, not, not one single vertical scored higher than a C average, right? So, so like less than kind of like 70%. Right. And, and the reason why uh, for, is a couple of reasons. Number one is just poor customer service. So Greg, this is, this is astounding. This was an unintended uh, outcome that came out of the study, but 35% of the people that we sent that email to, right? Which is a donor intent question. Hey, I'm thinking of giving a gift. Can you tell me why it should, it should be you rather than someone else? 35% of nonprofits never responded. 35%. <laughs> 33% never responded to the Facebook message. And when we got the messages back, they were all over the place. They were saying different things. They were speaking with forked tongue, right? Depending on like the answer you got on the phone, it was different than the answer you got in the email. It was different than the answer on social media and their donation page had something completely different to say. Which goes to the clarity question. 100%, yes. So, so this is the biggest thing that I think any nonprofit can work with regardless of size, you know, shape or revenue or whatever um, is... They need to have a very concise, 
clear, compelling answer to that question. So that's somebody, that's something that everyone can work on. I'm curious, one of the, one of the prongs that you mentioned there was credibility, right? Mm-hmm. So we all understand value. We understand exclusivity, who else is doing it? How have you found nonprofits effectively can communicate that credibility piece? Are there specific messages? Are there specific mm-hmm. um, tools or strategies they can use to convey that credibility piece? Yeah, absolutely. So one simple way is through endorsements, right? And now you got to be careful who you choose as an endorsement endorser, because some people can be lightning rods and they could be good <laughs> and they could be bad, but doing that and using like testimonials, maybe from other donors and not just like, you know, anonymous, but like show the picture of an actual real donor, get their permission and allow them to really do your bragging for you. Right. I mean, that's the problem is like, we kind of come in and we're just like, Oh, Hey, you know, and we smother these, do- these new potential donors and they got they get afraid and they back off. But if you let somebody else do your, you know, your bragging for you, it makes it a lot easier. Um, some other things is very unique to digital. This is a, this is a pretty great one. So, you know, obviously um, anytime you do any sort of transaction on, online, you know, in the back of your mind that there's a lot of nasty stuff out there. There's a lot of bad actors, right? There's mm-hmm. spamming and phishing and spoofing and all these things that are like designed to kind of, uh, you know, defraud me in some way. And, you know, uh, every donation page that I've encountered today is, is secure, right? Um, I mean, we all have like the encryption, all that stuff, but we found that simply just visually actually reinforcing that can make a difference in terms of whether or not somebody gives. Let me give you an example. If you go to a donation page and you go to the payment form and you're filling out all the information, contact information, when you get to the payment form box, we've done screen recording, watching donors give, and it's like, you know, two seconds to fill out the first name, three seconds to fill out the last name, you know, 15 seconds to fill out the address. And then once I get to the payment information, it's like four minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And that means that there's like a lot of stuff going on that could disrupt them and take them off path there. And so, you know, what we did in this test, we ran an AB split test, which means that, you know, version A was just a normal donation form and version B when we got to the payment uh, area, we simply just shaded that area and we put a little padlock in the corner. That's all we did right? And we ran an AB split test and that little shaded padlock produced a 16% increase in donations simply by making that one move. So there's visual things we could do to reinforce the fact that, you know, this is safe. Um, Another thing that a lot of organizations have started to do now is using seals and badges and in these kind of like bona fides, like these, uh, you know, third-party credibility indicators, like from GuideStar or from, you know, Charity Navigator, some of these other third-party watchdogs saying, look, this, this organization is a four out of four star, you know, they've got a very high efficiency ratio or whatever. So those are things that people can do to increase credibility. So you mentioned that value proposition and clearly communicating value proposition is a statistically proven driver of donate of new donations, right? That's right. I'm curious about recurring donations. You know, yeah. we all know as nonprofit <laughs> leaders, far better to retain those who are already our supporters rather than have to go through that constant churn of identifying new donors. I'm curious what you've found or has there been a difference between recurring donors and first time donors? Um. There is a difference between those donors um, and what's holding back most organizations from acquiring more of them is that we don't do a good enough job with adding clarity as to the reason why somebody should choose giving a recurring gift versus a one-time gift. If you go to most donation pages, 
and you go and you get there, you fill out the payment information. They usually have a checkbox. Want to make this recurring? Well, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why? Why would I choose that? Right? Unless I'm super, 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 super committed or passionate, which is like the you know 0.001%, right? Mm-hmm. So what we've done, we've run different tests to try to you know, actually make it easier for the donor to understand the reasons why they should choose recurring versus one-time gifts. Let me give you a couple of examples. One is simply below that little checkbox where it says make this recurring yes or no. We simply just added two lines of text, right? We said, um, do you know that when you make a recurring gift today, it creates, you know, XXX more impact and XXX more, you know, people are helped, blah, 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 blah. Right. And so uh, when we did that and ran our AB split test, 36% increase in people that chose recurring giving. Another more kind of, uh, you know, I guess risky test we did is as somebody goes through and they complete the donation form, you know, what we know in terms of a best practice is we want to put as little friction in the way of the donor completing that transaction as possible. Meaning like the fewest number of fields, the fewest number of questions, fewest number of options. We wanna make it simple and you dare not disrupt that process in any way. To your own peril, you do it, right? right. Um, so we ran this test and, you know, when somebody goes and completes the donation, they select, they've selected only one time gift, and they hit donate button. We disrupt the process. We have this pop-up come up and it says, Hey, you know, um, did you know that you can actually give less today, uh, but do it on a monthly basis and have much greater impact? You know what I mean? And, you know, it's going to accomplish this and this and this, we laid out a value proposition, you know, and we, we had a formula that would took whatever it is they were giving. And, you know, it, it kind of like broke it down into what we thought would be an appropriate uh, monthly gift, but it basically two X over the 12 months, what that donor would have given. Right. And, um, and then they simply have to just hit the yes button or the no button. And if they hit the no button, it completes a one-time transaction. No, no harm, no foul. If they click yes, it converts it to a recurring gift. Now, this was a very risky test because of the reasons I mentioned of disrupting the giver as they're going through the process. Absolutely. And the client was like, I don't know about this. We're like, we have to at least test it. 64% increase in recurring donors by doing that. Zero impact, zero statistical significant impact to whether or not somebody actually gave or not. So it didn't actually dissuade people from completing the transaction, having that pop up. So that was a huge finding and we've been able to roll it out and it's led to millions and millions of dollars of new recurring revenue for this client. And I think one of the things that I love about this, so one of the things that really draws me to this is that it is something that nonprofits, as you said, of all shapes and sizes can implement. You know, in many cases, we're talking about a couple of lines of text here or there. We're not talking about, boy, that's a great suggestion, Tim, you know, and if I only had a development staff of 10 more people, I could easily do that, right? So if I'm a nonprofit and I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this and I'm saying, I have a donate page, I have a Facebook page, um, we're asking for money digitally, where do I go about starting? How do I start to embrace this transformation and be a little bit smarter about how I'm deploying my resources here? What's the excellent. first thing I do? Excellent question. Yeah, excellent. So I'm going to give you three things, okay? Every single organization that's listening, these are three things you should do. The first one is I want you to go through an exercise where you develop empathy, right? So I want you, if you haven't done this in a long time, it's a great exercise. Go and give a donation to your own organization. Even better yet, have a friend or a spouse or partner or somebody else go and do that activity and just have them kind of like make some observations. And maybe you kind of like approach it with fresh eyes, just kind of like looking at this and saying, this is kind of what my donors go through every day. So that's, 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 that's baseline. That just kind of gets you like ready to go. The second thing I would ask you to do is to 
write out your answer to the value proposition question, right? If I'm your ideal donor, why should I give to you rather than some other organization or not at all? Write out your most compelling argument. It doesn't matter how long it is, just write out, give evidentials, like help me believe you. If you make a claim saying, well, we're the best in the world, why are you the best? You know what I mean? Like just really make it a compelling, I mean, you're a lawyer, you get this. You need to make an argument. Like a value proposition is an argument for why somebody should say yes rather than saying no. So it has to have, you know, this, these different dimensions I told you of appeal, exclusivity, credibility, and clarity. So do that. Okay. Once you do that, now you're ready to do the three things. Okay. So those are just warm ups. The three things are this. Um, we've run lots of donation page tests. And what we've found is on the main donation page for most nonprofits, they put as little text or content as possible. They believe that people don't read on the web, which is so untrue. It is the number one thing people do on the internet. And so um, the, what we found, actually this is true across the entire nonprofit industry, less than 25% of people that click the donate button and get to the donation page actually complete the transaction. Why? It's because their mind is not fully made up by the time they've got there. So if you have nothing on the page that's going to convince them or persuade them or move them to continue on with that activity, then you're going to lose, right? So take that value proposition argument you wrote, stick it on the donation page. That's, that's the first thing you need to do, okay? That should be something anybody could do if you got WordPress or something or you have a developer or whatever, just that, that's, that should be an easy thing to do. Number two, um, I want to talk about email fundraising. So email is the number one driver of all online revenue. I know like everyone's like, oh, email's passe. Nobody uses email. That's not true. <laughs> email is the number one driver of online revenue. So um, you need to be a really effective email fundraiser. And if you look at your email fundraising appeals and they look like most nonprofit organizations, they probably have lots of HTML, images, graphics, buttons, lots of design. Well, what we have found, and we've, we've, we have run uh, the test I'm about to share with you with dozens of organizations. We've done it in different countries. We've done it in different languages. And what we find is that actually if we scrape away the marketing veneer, get rid of the images, get rid of the graphics, get rid of the HTML, get rid of the buttons, and even rewrite the content so it sounds like it's coming from one human to another human, three, four, 500% increase in donations by doing that. So send a more of a plain text type of email appeal. So that's the second thing you can do. And then the third thing you can do, since email is so critically important to your ability to raise money online, in fact, we found that it is the number one leading indicator. The size and quality of your email list is the number one leading indicator of your success in online fundraising. You need to grow your email list, right? So you need to start thinking about what are the things that I can offer to people to get them to exchange their email address for that thing, right? So, you know, if you think about it, uh, email, my email, my contact information is actually valuable to me. I'm not gonna give it out willy nilly to anybody. I'm not gonna give it out, you know, just for a, a newsletter that I don't even know what the newsletter is gonna contain. So start to look at your organization and say, okay, what kinds of content do we develop? Maybe it's stuff we already have, maybe it's stuff we could develop but how could we repackage this and repurpose this and turn it into something that somebody would be willing to trade their contact information for? Um, I'll give you an example. So like um, if you have like audio or video content, one simple thing you could do, like if you've given a speech or something, right? Go take that audio content, go to rev.com, R-E-V.com. And for a dollar a minute, they'll transcribe it. 
So if it's a 60 minute speech, you know, you're going to have like, you know, this, all this text and it's actually like people that key it in. So it's not like automated. It's, it's really, really, really accurate. So you've got this text now. And so say, okay, take this text. Let's turn this into an ebook. What we found that people love ebooks online and you can offer them and you can create a simple little PDF ebooks by taking a speech, transcribing it, you know, maybe doing some light editing or whatever. And then you can go to fiverr.com. And for like 20 bucks, you can go get somebody to design your ebook for you, right? So like now you're into this thing for 20, 60 for, for the transcription, 20 for that. So you're like less than hundred bucks, 80 bucks, right? And now you've got this ebook. Now this is something you can offer. You can offer it on your website, uh, but most of us probably don't get a lot of traffic. So then the next place you can go is to Facebook, right? Facebook ads is such a, like a great, low cost way of reaching an audience that shares affinity to what your organization does. And the reason why is because we have all told Facebook exactly all the things we like. They know us better than we know ourselves. And you can use all those pieces of data to target people that look like your ideal donor. So, so that's, that's a one way to kind of start to grow that email list. Excellent, Tim. And just to follow up on something you said, particularly on the value proposition piece is I love that. Um, I love that exercise. And what a great opportunity if you're a nonprofit executive to do that with your staff members, do mm. that with your board members, take a few minutes at the beginning of a board retreat, at the beginning of your next board meeting, pass out index cards, ask that same question on value proposition, see what you get back. I also love the idea of the donor journey. Right. So if you get, you know, your next board meeting, put up on the big screen, your donate page, make a small donation, have your board members walk through that with you and give, you know, tangible feedback of what made it more likely for me to donate, what makes it less likely for me to donate. So, Tim, I really appreciate those actionable suggestions for nonprofit leaders. Appreciate your time today. For those who want to learn more about Next After, Mm -hmm. um, may want to reach out to you directly for some of those resources that you mentioned, some of those services that you were uh, talking about earlier. How can folks get a hold of you and your team? Yeah. I mean, you can find all of our research and all of the resources uh, and more that I mentioned at our website, nextafter.com. And actually um, from nextafter.com, you can navigate to the Next After Institute. And we, as I mentioned, we have eight different certification courses for people that really want to kind of learn this stuff. Uh, Usually those are paid, but we have had three uh, very generous sponsors that have made those available. Uh, There's three of the courses, three of our most important courses Intro to fundraising optimization, landing page optimization, and email fundraising optimization. Those are free. So if you go to the website, you can get access to them. They're normally, uh, I think, $400 a piece. So go ahead and, and take advantage of that while you can. And if you want to like connect with me, uh, I'm all over LinkedIn. So you can find me there. There's not a lot of Katuriak. So if you just go and Google <laughs> Katuriak, my face will pop up, I'm sure. Excellent. Tim, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. And for those who are listening on the podcast, really appreciate you coming back week after week. Um, If you're enjoying the podcast, I encourage everybody to visit your favorite podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, whatever you prefer. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, helps the podcast continue to grow and get noticed there. Hope everyone stays safe and stay well out there.